Hi everyone, a quick note before we get into the episode. Though we are discussing our usual content, these episodes have been pre-recorded and Tess and I wanted to make a special note that we are in full support of and stand with Black Lives Matter. We both have personally donated to the movement, participated in local protests, and are actively sharing resources on our Instagram accounts. In addition to this, we recognize the need to incorporate more diversity. We are committed to celebrating all skin tones, and we are actively looking to feature more women of color from our industry on this platform. We want to use our voices to affect the change that we believe in. As always, thank you for listening, and without further ado, let's get into the episode. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey, <sighs> Well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. You're listening to The Treatment Room with Tess and Lauren, the podcast by estheticians, for estheticians, and those who seek to learn about their own skin from a professional's perspective. We're diving into our whys as licensed skincare therapists, sharing in our career journeys, and separating the gimmicks from the real heroes in skincare. Welcome to the treatment room. Hi, you guys. Welcome back to the treatment room with Tess today. So I'm interviewing our first ever doctor on the podcast. We have Dr. Bocci, owner of Marin Medical Aesthetics. She was highly referred to me by Michelle Fallon of Concepts Institute. And her resume, you guys, is just top notch. So we're really getting the cream of the crop here. I'm going to give you a little bit of background on Dr. Bocci, but I just want to say I really hope this episode is of help to you if you are interested in the medical side of aesthetics. I myself work in a medical spa and I really enjoy it. And I know a lot of you have questions about working under a doctor or perhaps you're interested in being a nurse or you're in nursing school or you're thinking about it. So I hope this just broadens your understanding of aesthetics as a whole and shows you there's many different types of environments you can work in. Dr. Bocci has a special niche, and this is one of the main points of the episode I really want to highlight. She is specifically focused on a middle-aged audience who is interested in anti-aging for the body, which I think is really unique about her clinic. So many clinics focus on the face, which she does as well, but she really specializes in body care. She has a range of different technologies we are going to talk about, but her practice covers a range of different procedures from microneedling to Botox to M-Sculpt to chemical peels. So we're going to get into all of that good stuff. Just to give you a little bit of background on Dr. Bocci, she originally earned her undergraduate degree in nursing, and then she went on to earn her master's degree in health and medical sciences at the University of California, Berkeley. And then on top of that, a medical degree at the University of California, San Francisco. 
She completed her residency at Stanford and has been a physician for over 25 years. As part of her master's degree, she obtained a certificate in bioethics from Cambridge University in England. And as part of her residency, she trained in dermatology at Harvard's Massachusetts General Hospital. She was then invited to author a chapter on the use of topical steroids in the gold standard textbook of dermatology and general medicine by Fitzpatrick. You guys. How cool. So impressive. We're so excited for this episode. If you enjoy it, please, please let us know. We love your feedback. Let us know on iTunes by leaving a a review. It takes 30 seconds, but it really means the world to us and it helps support our business here and just keep coming with great content. So thank you guys so much for listening. I hope you enjoy. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the treatment room. So today you're getting me, Tess, and a super special guest, the first doctor we've ever had on the podcast here. We have Dr. Chris Bocci of Marin Medical Aesthetics. So welcome, Dr. Bocci. Thanks for having me today. Of course. So tell us a little bit about your practice. So my practice is uh, body sculpting and skincare only. It's kind of a medical medi-spa. So we do all kinds of body sculpting based on the individual patient's needs and then make skincare recommendations also. Okay. And how about your staff? What's, what's the size? We're pretty small. We've been in practice uh, in this location only under a year. And right now it's myself and two nurses so I think one of the things that makes us unique is that we are healthcare professional delivery. So you're getting a licensed practitioner delivering your services. Okay. What are some of the main treatments people come to see you for? We have the full line of equipment from a company out of Prague called BTL. And what I like about having the full range of equipment from them is that we can do just about anything someone needs in body sculpting. So there's a device that builds muscle, another device that melts fat, another device that eliminates cellulite, and another device that tightens skin. That sounds, uh, I mean, very ideal, actually, for post-quarantine. I'm sure people are going to be really excited to come back in. Um, How did you kind of niche down and decide you wanted to focus on those things? I think niche is the right word here. I didn't want to be just like everyone else. I didn't want to be a medispa. I'm not a dermatologist. I'm not a plastic surgeon. So I really wanted to go full focus on aesthetic body sculpting care. And for individuals, I often find that there's one thing that just bugs them and it's different for everyone. So I needed uh, different tools to approach problems. And in the BTL service line, I really found that. Yeah. And I think that's really true. And everyone, you know, has their insecurities. Did that kind of play into why you got into aesthetics? I think you led me right to uh, the passion for me. The reason why I went from internal medicine, primary care doctor to aesthetics is I really wanted to make people feel good. And if I could do that at the end of the day, it made me feel good. And I think all estheticians can probably relate to that. 
Yes, I think, I, and I love hearing all estheticians stories about how they got into the industry, but that tends to be kind of underlying and at the heart. I think we all just want to help people feel, feel their best. Tell us, paint, paint a picture of, of how you got into aesthetics. I um, was a primary care physician doing a little bit of everything. And the bread and butter, I guess, of, of adult health care is wellness prevention. And then the problems that are common, you probably can all imagine, are things like diabetes and hypertension. So chronic management. Um, and then I took time off to be with my family and three young children. And part of what we do in healthcare and in aesthetics, too, is teaching. So I went back to the university and did some teaching for public health and nursing and PA students. But then I was really missing my one-to-one -one patient contact. And that led me back to practice and in this specialty area. Okay. Was there any person that inspired you to get into medical aesthetics and the medical industry as a whole? I think one of my passions in all the rotations I did as a physician was in dermatology. And so I had the opportunity to do a dermatology fellowship. And actually, i uh, that's what led me to find out about this BTL equipment. I was attending the American Academy of Dermatology annual meeting in Washington, D.C. And I just found that absolutely inspiring. And I thought, this is this is my calling. Yeah. And I mean, those, those claims you're talking about reducing cellulite and melting fat, that that's pretty mind blowing to hear because I know there's so many things you see online and so many different at home remedies. And I can relate as an esthetician with people, you know, seeing all these ideas that haven't been proven and, and trying things at, at home. So to be able to provide a solution, I think that's really incredible. And I've actually never, never heard of that type of technology. Well, I think you can imagine taking the leap of faith as an entrepreneur, investing in this very expensive equipment, I had to believe in it. Hmm. Uh, and uh, traditionally, with all the prior treatment availabilities to go after cellulite, there wasn't high patient satisfaction. I found with this new device from BTL that really just came out in this September, uses heat and mechanical energy to break up the foundation that's leaving the indentations and bringing in new collagen elastin is giving more than 80% satisfaction in the patient population, which is really unheard of in cellulite treatment previously. Wow. Yeah. And how many treatments does it take to achieve those results? Almost all of my devices, just to kind of keep it simple and give you a ballpark, requires about six treatments. And they vary from twice a week to once a month, depending on what it is. So, for example, going after fat, we can do pretty quickly, but tightening skin, particularly in midlife, takes a little time to remodel. So I like to space that out by a month. And this is all non-invasive, very comfortable. So it requires a little patience. This is not go in, have your plastic surgery, and you're done. We get pretty close to the same results, 
but it comes in over time without the risk and discomfort. Okay. I want to go back to something you said about, um, you know, having to take that leap of faith and opening your business. What stage of life were you at when you decided you were ready to do that? I was over 50. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So my, my, my kids are just about to leave the nest. And this was a really wonderful time for me to reinvent myself and to focus on my passion and kind of blossom. Um, yeah. And it's not too far along in my lifespan that uh, it wasn't reasonable. So um, right. I'm really glad I did it. Uh, the, the practice is doing really well and I'm loving what I do every day. I think um, a lot of my audience can relate to wanting to take that leap and, and having, you know, some self-limiting fear and self-doubt around starting a business. Do you have any tips or advice for people who are in that position? I think do a little soul searching. Um, it looks a little glamorous from the outside and it looks like there's a lot of benefits, but there's definitely a lot of hard work but it's worth it. And I think you need to be committed and dedicated um, and willing to put the work in and also trying to make yourself a little different than everyone else. Yes, I think that's important. And I don't think people should shy away from specializing from what I hear from a lot of experts I talk to. Mm -hmm. As far as hardships in, in starting a business, is there anything notable that stands out? I think what I anticipated to be a problem has been a little bit of a challenge, and that is managing patient expectations. Hmm. So, for example, I can't take someone that's 50 and have them look like they're 20, but uh, and then freeze them there so that they look for 20 forever. But I can dial the clock back, reset it, bring them back maybe five or 10 years, and then help them maintain and sustain the results while they continue to age. So let's just take brown spots on the skin, for example. If I do a procedure that minimizes those brown spots, they're still going to be walking around every day in the sun and aging. So part of their homework, if you will, is to do adequate sun protection hmm. with sunscreens, for example. Yes. Yeah. The most important anti-aging tool. Sunscreen. Exactly. Yeah. And being, pre being preventative. Um, when you talk about managing expectation, that's something I've realized and I've only been licensed three years now, but that's something I think is one of the, the biggest things you have to kind of get a, a grip on setting the expectation with your clients. What are, what's kind of your strategy for doing that? My strategy is to be honest and keep my integrity and be realistic. And I know that sounds a little vague, but it sounds something like this. Often patients ask me at the first pass when they contact me, when will I see results and what will my results look like? So I start out by saying everyone's response to the interventions are different, which is really true. And it also matters where you're starting out. If I'm going to build your abs up, if you have a substantial layer of fat, 
then the device can't really get to your muscle as well. And not only that, the results are going to be less visible. But if your goal is to strengthen your core because you have back pain, maybe that meets your goal. Maybe your goal wasn't to see a six pack at the end of a month. Hmm. Do you feel with, with social media and just this expectation of, you know, having a filter on everything, do you think that's made people's expectations a little bit more unrealistic? Absolutely. I think that I have teenagers and they are under tremendous pressure to post, to get liked, um, you know, everything being touched up in, in the media, um, and to look good and to do selfies. I think it's really tremendous. And the other piece of that is that I think uh, providers are also more aware of the consequences of getting things like a negative review because I'm a new clinic. I'm the new kid on the block. If people are going to look me up, they're going to say, I don't know this person. What did other people think of that physician in that clinic? Yes. And so I, I do proactive work to try to not get negative reviews. If I say that they are going to have a six pack and then I don't deliver, they're not going to be happy. Yeah. Yeah. And I can relate to that pressure too. It's, and for anybody in the aesthetics world, who's ever had that kind of negative review, it really weighs on you and um, it can, it, it just feels bad. So I think managing that expectation is a way to really mitigate that risk and just ensure everyone's on the same page so you deliver what they want and they end up happy. Exactly. And and if I'm honest and I'm not going to meet their expectations, then maybe we're not a good fit. And it takes a certain level of confidence and maturity to say um, that's going to happen once in a while. And that actually is a good outcome. Yes. Yes, absolutely. So in hiring your staff, I know a lot of my audience um, is interested in medical aesthetics. They are curious about prerequisites for, for working for somebody like you. What are things you look for when hiring a nurse or if you ever were to bring on an esthetician? I think one of the most important things for me is having a positive outlook in life because that's the lens that you use to see everything and how you relate with other people. Mm. I want my patients to feel a little better when they leave my clinic than when they came in. And that's a team effort. So it has to be from me and everyone they come in contact with here. The other thing that's personally important to me is a sense of inquiry a sense of always wanting to learn the latest and the greatest because things in this field change really quickly and you need to have an internal desire to keep up with it, continuing education. Hmm. Do you look for, is it more so the overall attitude versus technical skills, a combo of both certain classes? It's a little bit of a combination of both. If someone has good raw material, I can teach them the skills pretty much manually, for example, or what recipe to follow or what protocol to follow. But I can't really take someone that has a negative worldview 
that sees the glass half empty and, and think I'm going to have an impact on that. Or if someone's not motivated to want to read or um, look on social media about what's happening in the field on their, in their free time, I'm not going to impact that either. Right. And everybody you hire is a reflection of you. And I think people really pick up, they pick up on a vibe and a feeling when they come into a business. So I think that's really important to know. And for, for us to be aware of that, it's not just, you know, having certain things on paper, but how you present yourself. And I think those client relations and that attitude is certainly very important. I couldn't agree more. As far as the nurses you do have on staff, what what do their days look like? Both of my nurses work um, part-time because they have other passions in life and other things they want to explore. Um, for example, example ha- helping with medical investigational studies or teaching a cycling class. One of my nurses also works for a plastic surgeon, so she gets to see the invasive and non-invasive side. So I want to support all of that. And I think if people are happy with their day-to-day work life, that's going to impact everything they do. So I'm really happy that they are able to work part-time and pursue all their passions and still meet the needs of our clinic. I think that's really cool. You have that perspective. And I think it's very underrated. Um, Just having happy employees and people who don't feel so controlled or like they have to fit in a in a certain box. I know I'm really grateful with my um, job as an esthetician that I'm able to interview experts and have a presence on YouTube and social media and just, you know, do the things that light you up so that when you do come into the workplace, you're just more of a complete person and you're an individual. And it's, I think it's great to hear that you value that. Mm -hmm. And I think from a business perspective, uh, staff loyalty says a lot about the practice and so does Mm -hmm. patient loyalty. If everybody has a feel good um, sense in the environment, that's pretty contagious. Yes. Yeah. Creating that trust. I think it it definitely goes both ways. Um, So as far as as when your nurses are in the office and and they are assisting you, what would be kind of just an average day in the life to give somebody an idea who's somebody who's in esthetician school or nursing school who has a dream of working in, in an office like yours? What kind of treatments and and things would they be helping with? That's a really, really great question. And let me clarify that the scope of practice is defined by the state that you live in. So estheticians may or may not be able to do certain things in California, but they might be able to do it in Florida, for example. Mm -hmm. So I need to be mindful of what their scope is in their practice under their current licensure. I think that you touched on something really important. Letting people expand to their full capacity is really important for me. Mm. So, for example, um, there's some of my devices that can be operated by pretty much anyone. They're electromagnetic and they're pretty safe. You can kind of think of it as uh, MRI similar technology. So once they get a medical clearance from me, 
that they don't have metal in their body and no medical contraindications. An esthetician could be trained to deliver those services, like the muscle building machine I was telling you about, the M-Sculpt. Mm. Mm, okay. Yeah. And I've, I've actually, now that you say the name again, I've heard that um, kind of going around in Hollywood as one of the, the newer technologies. Mm-hmm. It yeah. was social media this year because of uh, J-Lo's performance. I, I guess oh. he did it before her performance. Oh my gosh. Well, that's funny. I was wondering what her workout was. So now yeah. I know. It's M-Sculpt. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, great. Um, as far as somebody, let's just give an example of, of California. Uh, a nurse working in California under you. Um, just assuming they work, what, 9 a.m. To, to 6 p.m. What's kind of just a rough idea of, of what they would be doing throughout the day? I try to break up their schedule. So one of my devices, you have to um, manually make circles over the skin. So it's kind of a little bit physically intense. So I wouldn't want someone to do that for eight hours straight, you can imagine. Right. So they might do one of those in the morning and then um, have a patient schedule for Botox and then do muscle building and then come back to the skin tightening device. Um, the other thing I wanted to just mention, because I have seen absolutely miraculous results, and I think that I'm shocked, actually, that not more people are aware of it, although I wasn't aware of it before I came aware of it myself. So one of the devices I have um, is an, a chair, and you sit in it, and it uses energy to contract your muscles in your pelvic floor. So you might think, well, why would I need that? Well, as we age, everyone loses muscle bulk everywhere, and the pelvic floor is part of that. So for men, they might need to wake up more at night to pee. For women, especially if they've had children, they might not have as much vaginal tone as they had before, or they might have leaking of urine when they cough or sneeze or laugh or jump rope or go jogging. So this device strengthens the muscles in the pelvic floor and helps with any urinary issues and sexual function issues. It has recently also gotten FDA clearance for erectile dysfunction. And I've seen it give patients a difference that impacts their quality of life. Yeah, yeah, I can imagine you're talking about quality of sleep and somebody's romantic life. So I'm, I'm sure those would be really meaningful results. Right. Right. Um, awesome. As far as chemical peels, I know this is a little bit um, separate, but how often do you incorporate those in your treatments? So I have had several estheticians actually literally walk in my front door and say, are you hiring? Um, uh-huh. And for me, as I mentioned, I'm new in practice. I needed to get good at what I'm doing first before I expanded in a fixed space. But there's potential that I could do, you know, later hours or weekend hours to bring an esthetician in. And I think peels would be a great example to add to my practice I'm doing very simple peels now, like Obagi, 
uh, blue radiance peels and um, Jesner's. But who gets what peel if a question of that uh -huh. was posed to me? I would want to know a few things. What's their Fitzpatrick number? What, what's their experience in the past? How does their skin respond to certain things? What is their allergy profile like? For example, are they allergic to aspirin? Do I need to stay away from that salicylic acid? And then what's their expectations? And I know we've talked about that already, but specifically with the skin, what kind of aggressiveness do they want in this experience? More aggressive equals more dramatic results, but maybe they've never done it before and they're a little hesitant. And then I would pick a less aggressive peel. Hmm. Yeah, I always, I always love to hear about people's different approaches with peels because I think that's something that um, can come up for estheticians as one of the riskier things that we do. I think a situation that comes up a lot is, you know, a client wanting those extreme results, but maybe not necessarily putting the forethought into what that process will be like. And I think in skincare, a lot of times people think, um, you know, more faster equals better when maybe it's not the case for, for their Fitzpatrick type or their skin or their level of sensitivity. I would say my comfort zone and my advice to a new clinician would be get some experience under your belt. Um, do things that are not risky, that gives good results, because mm -hmm. you are going to have patients that are going to have complications or bad outcomes, not because you did anything wrong, but just because that happens. And I guess my guiding principle for medicine is do no harm first. So once you get good at the basic things, then you know what kind of complications happen commonly and you can be a little more bold in your approach. Yes. Yes. I think with, with the experience comes that confidence and your ability to say, I know, you know, the skin will be here when I do this. And it's not so much of a, a risk. Right. As far as different treatments, I'd love to hear just maybe if I mention a few different skin concerns, I'd love to hear kind of what you think the best treatment would be for those types of, of um, concerns. What do you think? Great. <laughs> okay. Um, so how about rosacea? That's one I get a lot of questions about. Rosacea is probably one of my most fun things to address in my clinic. Oh, okay. Yeah, my population is pretty heterogeneously white. Um, and the amount of rosacea I see on a daily basis uh, amazes me. Hmm. Also, um, I have a tool called a dermatoscope. I'm not sure if you or your listeners are familiar with that. But it's basically a magnifying glass that you can put on the skin. Mine hooks up to my iPhone so I can blow up what their skin looks like and then actually show them the picture or email them the picture. And what it allows me to do is to show them the amount of background redness and actual visible individual blood vessels that are on mostly their nose and cheek. And they are just shocked. 
Mm. I think I'm always astounded too that no one's ever told a patient they've had rosacea or they haven't heard about it or thought about it. And what's amazing for me is that rosacea is a chronic problem and can get worse. So if I catch it early and make an impact, that really excites me. Mm. So um, in my toolbox, in my practice, the non-prescription go-to for me so far has been Color Science All Calm. I like it because there's three reasons it does good things. First, it has a nice little tint to it, so it will cover up redness. Secondly, it has an SPF factor of 50. And third, it has key ingredients that actually shrink the blood vessels so that it's a treatment. It's not simply a cover-up. And uh, the reason I like this is because patients can purchase this themselves. They don't need to see a physician. They can buy it on their own and impact their rosacea. Do you get a lot of um, teens and people dealing with acne, oily skin? My practice is primarily middle-aged folks. Um, Okay. They might have kids and then they ask me about treatments. Um, Again, you know, I might be able to talk to them about prescription things, either that they would get in the pharmacy or that I sell on my own, like bleaching hydroquinone agents and also procedures like laser. But for estheticians and for patient empowerment, there's a lot of things that you can do on your own that work really well. So for acne, I think salicylic acid and benzyl peroxide are great. The thing I really like to caution people about benzyl peroxide is that it can bleach things, including your clothes, your towels, and your pillowcases. Yes. Yeah. Benzoyl peroxide is, is one of those key ingredients that has, I think it's been the biggest thing in um, controlling my skin and my acne, but it's just, it's a, it's potent. Right. And I, I have to be careful what I use it with and how often. But it does give good results. And if people are aware yes. of the potential problems, then yes. they won't. It's a game changer. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, so since you're saying your your client base is mostly a little bit older, people are concerned with anti-aging, what are treatments or products that you recommend? So I spend probably 90 minutes on an initial consultation and I go over the patient's body concerns from a sculpting aspect and go over their skincare regimen. Then I ask them what their concerns are and then I share my observations. So it's a very long process. And the way I want to give them information is in a digestible, easy to remember Mm -hmm. way. So for Mm -hmm. my skincare approach, I say you just need to remember as a basic foundation, the ABCs. They can walk away and go home and think about ABC and what did each of those letters stand for. So A, I recommend some type of Retin-A for aging skin for several reasons. It helps their skin turn over and it helps when used regularly to fill in fine lines and wrinkles. 
The most common problem I see with Retin-A is that people give up on it too soon. They say they're allergic to it or they can't tolerate it. And Retin-A really requires baby steps. Mm-hmm. If people yeah. can start with a low dose and space it out, like even if it's every third day and then gradually go up, most of the time they can really tolerate it. But no one ever told them that. And they start with it daily and then they hate it because they're red and flaky. <laughs> the, yeah. The B yeah. would be sunblock. So again, we talked about the importance of keeping the sun away from the face. And it doesn't mean when you go for a run or go to the beach or go play tennis. It's every day. It's walking mm-hmm. from your car to the food store or into the office. It's cumulative. Yes. And I think that that incidental exposure is something we need to be hyper aware of because I think the mentality with with sunscreen has changed so much. It used to be, at least when I was growing up, just something you thought about as when you go to the beach, when you're outside playing a soccer game. Um, And I love that it's being understood now as something you need to wear every day. Exactly. I mean, even some lip color products now have sunscreen. I remember not too long ago, I could not for the life of me find a foundation that had sunscreen in it. Wow. Yeah. It's, it's now it's, I think I love that we understand its importance and now it's almost in, in everything it's in lip product, makeup sprays. People are all about their sunscreen because we're, I think we're very aware of the effects in terms of aging in the skin. Exactly. So back to the ABCs, I'll just wrap up with C. C is vitamin C. And I think that's Mm. a nice addition to to add an antioxidant. And a lot of them are available in serum form. And it just feels yummy to put that on your face at night. Mm. Yeah, you know what? Actually, something I wanted to ask you about was um, I noticed you talk about vitamin C on your website as an acid, which I think a lot of people don't realize it can produce exfoliating effects. Um, so, But I've never really heard anybody talk about C as something that should only be used at night. So I wanted to hear more about that from you. Well, I didn't mean to imply it could only be used at night, but I think... Um, I try and simplify and be mindful of what a Mm. person's routine day schedule is. And I think a lot of people wash their face in the morning or shower, right? And then they're going to, I want them to put on their sunscreen and their makeup. And Mm. then if if they are using Retin-A, especially having something that can soak into their skin at night, if they don't like the shininess that maybe a serum can give you, um, all of those things make it more palatable at night. And I do want them to wash their face at night. So if I have one task for them to do to get their serum on a clean face, it fits nicely there. It's not that you you can't use vitamin C in the morning. In fact, you know, you could use it twice a day, but I just try and um, keep their regimen simple so that they're really going to do it. That makes sense. Yeah. And I think for some people, it can get overwhelming when they think of, you know, a 12-step skincare routine, and then they end up not doing anything. So sometimes, like you're saying, it just comes down to the ABCs and just having a a foundation of really cleaning the skin, protecting it, um, so on and so forth. I wanted to actually circle back to 
retin-A um, and retinols, because I think that's another ingredient I get a lot of questions about. Um, what are some of the differences between, say, a retinol that you might get over the counter versus one that you would prescribe? That's a great question. So one that's um, available over the counter, for example, for skin exfoliation might be adepaline or differin. Mm -hmm. um, and that's a nice gentle way to start. Even within the realm of prescribing Retin-A, there's different strengths. One yes. thing I think that people don't attribute enough importance to, and maybe estheticians are more aware of this than most folks, is that the vehicle is really important. So by vehicle, I mean, what, what is it in? Is it uh, a liquid? Is it a gel? Is it a cream? Is it an ointment? All of those things act extremely differently on the skin in, in terms of absorption and strength of the actual um, material that's in the base getting into the skin and how much it's going to react and respond. Okay. So, for example, gels generally have alcohol in them and can be drying. Mm. Um, ointments are very occlusive and oily, and some people don't like that. So some people know they like gels or they like lotions or they like creams. And I take that into consideration. Mm, okay. Yeah, I've actually been on the, the 0 0.025 cream-based tretinoin for probably about two years. How, like, how would I know when it's time to graduate? Great. And question. if it's a good idea. Great question. Um, it's always a great idea to graduate. So let me leave you with that thought. <laughs> Go as strong as you can because that's going to give you the best results. I also feel like I don't want to scare anybody in my practice. If they get results and they're happy and they're not having side effects, they're going to trust me to bump them up. So mm -hmm. how do you know when to do that? The answer is when they're tolerating what they're currently at really well for a given amount of time. So mm -hmm. let me just give you some specifics. If someone, if you can take your tretinoin and use it daily and you're not having any redness or flakiness, then I think it's time to bump up. And you've been able to do that for say three months. Yeah. Yeah. I've been on, on this tretinoin little routine about every day with little side effects. So maybe the next step would be, would it be the formula? Would it be the vehicle, like having a gel base or would it be increasing the percentage? If you're happy with the vehicle you have, I would stick with that and increase the percentage. Okay. That was a great personal question. Yeah. So thank, you for, thank you for answering that. Um, I have a couple more questions before we wrap up, Dr. Bocci. My next one is if you had any advice for your former self or maybe um, yourself when you were just opening your business, even though that wasn't super long ago, what would that be? Believe in yourself. And the reason is if you believe in yourself, other people are going to pick up on that vibe and that energy and they're going to believe in you too. Hmm. I love that. Yeah. I think a lot of times we just kind of assume 
you know, what if this and this and I lose it all and we think about the risk, but we don't think, what if it turns out great? Like, what if there's actually a net to catch me and people will rally behind me and um, things work out for the better? So I really love that advice. We will just end here on a few skin tips for a young audience. Um, I know we talked a lot about sunscreen. Aside from that, would there be anything you would recommend for people in their 20s to do now so they don't um, have to take the super extreme measures down the line? I love that question because I think now more than ever, given what we know about our skin and what tools we have available, uh, younger folks are more interested in prejuvenating, not waiting until they get older and then only having the option to rejuvenate. Hmm. So in terms of what they can do now, also I'm going to go back to that theme of keep it simple so that will actually happen. So number one, we already talked about sunscreen, sunscreen, sunscreen. Next, I would say hydrate. Mm-hmm. So keeping the skin well hydrated is important. And then um, I would just say routine washing of the face and moisturizing. I think a lot of people have eczema, for example, and keeping a barrier on the skin to keep out pollution and allergens is our first line of defense and stops us from ever becoming itchy or irritated in the first place. Mm. Okay. And as far as a barrier, would you recommend layering serums, moisturizer, sunscreen, makeup, all of the above? (laughs) I kind of leave that up to them to give them a little bit of empowerment and choice. Uh Uh-huh. Um, that does vary widely, and I'd rather them find the magic recipe that they love instead of prescribing it for them. So someone, again, might really like a lotion versus a cream. Um, as long as they're doing it, their goal is going to be met. Perfect. Okay, well, yeah, we'll, we'll end on that. I love that, leaving some power to the consumer. They know their skin. They can trial at home just with your guidance. Um, Perfect. Dr. Bocci, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Where can people find you on social media, anywhere else? Oh, thank you for asking. I love building my follower base. (laughs) If people just remember that I am from Marin, M-A-R-I-N, Medical Aesthetics, they will be able to find my website. They'll be able to find me on Facebook. And they'll be able to find me on Instagram. And I'd love to have followers and feedback and uh, chances to interact with people professionally. Yeah, perfect. We'll put all of that information in the show notes as well. So everyone can find you there and learn more about what it's like working in medical aesthetics. So thank you so much, Dr. Bocci. We so appreciate you and your time. Hope you stay safe and excited for what's to come once your doors reopen. Thanks for the opportunity. And I'm sure sure we're all looking forward to getting back and getting our treatments done. We will touch base soon and hope you stay well. Okay. Thanks so much. Bye. Thank you.